Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome to Business Black Belts. I'm Dave Golding. I am here with Tom Slocum, VP of Sales at Trainio and many other things. We're going to talk about lots of your uh, different belts to go along with that uh, Black Belts, Business Black Belts theme. How are you doing today, Tom? Doing very well. Super excited to chat with you and thanks for having me. Oh yeah, really excited that you're here because um, we've had some great talks, uh, you know, prior to recording this, and uh, it's going to be hard to squeeze everything in, but we're going to do our best. Why don't we just start though at the beginning, and you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it was like when you were a white belt? Yeah, so you know, I'm a 15 year sales vet, uh, all outbound most of my career. So I've been at this since about 2007. Uh, so I've seen a lot, right? I've went through my stages of progression and growth through my, you know, mastering the craft, right? And getting to that karate black belt. But when I was at stage one, walking into that dojo for the first time, right? That cold call arena um, with my white belt, it was rough. Uh, my first job was at Discover Card uh, Financials, the card services. Before that, I was like working at Subway and Fry's, you know, uh, but then my mom, my stepmom, got me in at Discover Card. She'd been there about 20 years already as a customer success rep um, or customer service rep. So I got in for uh, balance transfers. So I would call card members that were, you know, might have other credit cards and see if we could offer them an introductory rate to bring that balance over to us. So it was just an automated dialer, no you know, script all the way to the core. You just read through the questions. Um, they had a full month of training before you even got on the phones. Um, and it was straight up just working for managers. I didn't even know what a leader was at that time, right? I didn't have that dojo master. I just had a manager that was there to, to watch me go through it, right? Um, so it was interesting. It was really interesting to get that as my, my first experience. Then, yeah. uh, what did you learn from that experience? You know, what was it? Because um, that could turn a lot of people off, yeah. right? I mean, that's a tough gig. Uh, but obviously you went on to the next level. So what was it, you know, about that, that, uh, got you interested in, in sales and, in, and doing, you know, hardcore outbound. I'm going to be as authentic and real as possible. At first it was those commission checks, right? It was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was sure. 18, 19 years old being able to make really good money. Right. Um, as I was heading over to, you know, finishing high school, getting out, like it was a great opportunity. I had really great coworkers. I really built relationships uh, being on that floor. Because before that, I was a bagger at a grocery store and a sandwich artist at Subway, as they call it, right? Wasn't that, you know, it's still sales and customer service stuff, but I, I really found this team goal. It was fun to win. We had a lot of contests. It was just a fun environment. The job, yeah, it was rough. I mean, I was just making 200 dials a day through this system, just calling and, and, at 18, 19 years old, talking to an adult, right? Trying to get them to move their money. That was $30,000, $10,000, right? It was it was interesting, uh, but it was a commodity. Yeah. It was the buzz of the floor. Um, and then it was just those checks coming in. Uh, you know, being 18, yeah. 19, that was just a focus. Uh, and I loved it. So then when that came to an end um, and I moved on, I went to, um, I had actually left because I, I uh, moved out of the state. So I left Arizona. I had met my birth mom uh, when I was 19, 18, so 18, 19. So she lived in Cali. So I took off, kind of had a little bump in the road over there. I got into real estate. So I started doing 
So right before I left and kind of finished, so sorry, step back, I did a small stint as a car sales rep, right? After Discover Cards. The reason I left there is because I landed a summer job working a car lot for Peoria Nissan. I lived out in Peoria, Arizona. Mm-hmm. My grandmother lo- loved, you know, she knew everybody at the staff at Nissan. They love Nissan. So she put me over there in contact. And so I left because it was way more commission over there. And it was really cool to get into car sales. Um, so I jumped on a car lot for about six months, got to learn the the four square, what it was like working with my friends to help them buy some cars. Um, but it was one hell of a sale because again, I'm back to talking to families about investing $50,000 loans, right? On a car at, you know, 19, 20 years old now to where they're like, what, you know, and I'm trying to work out these deals. I'm getting eaten alive by the competition on the lot, right? These older men knowing what they're doing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, I had to pave the phones. I'd sit and be the rookie that was in office, but guess what? I out hustled all of them because I knew how to cold call and I knew how to crank it out. Yeah. And I learned that from discover card where these guys were like, dude, we don't cold call. We worked a lot. And I was bringing my own people into the lot and I was working my pipeline and I was calling up and following up on leads that were filling out forms. And I just hustled the phones because I wasn't going to win on the lot. I knew that, right. I had to jump over, I had to level up to that yellow belt um, and kind of see that next pivotal point where I had a skill. I like to cold call. I like to be on the phone. I was used to it. So I was able to hustle in that business uh, a little bit more than them. Um, and then I met my mom and I jumped over to Cali, got into some real estate, started selling uh, houses. Uh, my ex-girlfriend's mom was an agent. She first asked me to start working for her just so she could get more leads because the more realtors you have, the more housing listings you get. So she was like, if you go through the school, yeah. I'll pay for it, but I want your, your listings. And I was like, oh, easy. So I went through the schooling. She taught me everything. And then I got into real estate uh, down in La Jolla and San Diego, California. And it was epic. I was making great money. I had the time of my life uh, working under her company and just kind of learning, closing on houses. But now I'm going from 10, 20K deals to 50 to 60 with cars to now 200, 300, half a million dollar homes, million dollar homes that she's letting me go work these properties. You know, I, I helped her push a $1.2 million home. It was crazy, right? Do the open house, yeah. mingle, work the leads, right? I could call those phones. I was calling, I was hustling. Um, and so I started working that. Um, and then I jumped from there, came back home, came back to Arizona. And then that was in, uh, I jumped into for-profit education. So I landed at a, so when I came back from uh, Cali, I found a really small stint where I sold solar water heaters. That was fun. I worked in a little small business center uh, where the manager sat in the middle of the floor and everybody was along the wall uh, back to each other. Right. And I was calling people after dinner. Hey, what's your credit score? Do you know about a solar water heater and a tax refund? Um, And one of the ladies that worked there, she saw my last name and I have my mom's last name. And she was we were outside one afternoon and break. And she was like, hey, is your mom so and so? And they used to run together back in the day. And it was a small world. And she's like, honey, you can't be here. Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I just moved home. I'm getting situated, um, you know, and I was having a baby on the way. Um, so I just met a girl, happened, right? We had a baby. So she was like, you got to get out. So I got into for-profit education because her husband worked at Argosy University. So got my hand, got that reach out for the first time ever. Somebody kind of pulled me up a little bit and I found this kind of new world for the next decade, right? Um, mm-hmm. To where I did for-profit education. I was an admissions counselor, went through layoffs, because it was for profit, I suffered three layoffs, but got pulled back to the company after each one. So I was uh, an admissions rep, laid off, came back as a finance counselor, laid off, came back as an academic counselor. 
laid off and I walked. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, but I did a good little stint there learning how to cold call again on a dialer, calling people that were filling out forms online saying they were interested in school, right? Going on career builder when that was a platform, right? And filling out these things to get to job listings and calling people. And, and that right there taught me discovery, right? That was when I upgraded to that next belt. And I kind of learned discovery because you're calling people up and like me and you, David, right? I'm asking you, why'd you fill it out? Talk to me about your background. What, why school? And I'm getting like some personal stories, right? These people are telling me about their just got out of prison. You know, they want to change their lives. These are opportunities for them. They've got kids. And I had to guide them through the admissions process, right? All over the phone. We weren't an in-person school. So this was all online. So I'm cold calling you to convince mm. you to enroll in a four-year program, go through your FAFSA, go through all these steps and change your life, right? All from a cold call. My favorite phone call ever in the time that I worked there, I spent eight hours with a woman. I got the call at 10 a.m. and I didn't leave until nighttime when the lights were off and my wife had been blowing up my phone all day. I stayed on the phone for her for eight hours and we went through entire enrollment process. She walked to the Safeway to get her transcripts and do faxing. She got everything through the whole FAFSA form, right? And we jammed for a full eight hours with this woman guiding her over the phone on how to get through her computer. She'd be like, okay, I see this. And I'm like, okay, click here. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. Best wow. woman I ever met. Uh, she was so great. She called me a couple years later and she graduated, right? True story. She really didn't remember me, right? And she got what it. What a story. Yeah, but that was a cool call and I yeah. learned discovery there. Um, and that was that next level, right? I'll stop there for a second yeah. before we get in the second half, unless you want me to keep going. <laughs> been a lot. Yeah. Well, actually, actually mm -hmm. one thing, you know, I thought of a bunch of stuff that I wanted to ask you, but I think, um, you know, that commitment that you made right there, I think is a great contrast between, you know, the first thing that you said, and I love the transparency, right? Yeah. Because in sales, there's nothing wrong with liking the big check, yeah. right? I mean, there, there's an element of sales where we have to be coin operated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then there's the other element where you have to really care mm -hmm. as well, right? And and so spending that amount of time with a prospect that then became a customer throughout that eight hour period, I think for me, that is like one of the greatest sales stories <laughs> because, you know, literally in, in the time that we've been talking, you've you've shown both sides of what it right. takes to be successful, right? Which, which, yeah, the money and the drive and the competitive right. nature, but then also your heart's in it and you're going to do whatever it takes to help this person. And I love the other part, which is she graduated, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that was going to be what I was going to ask you. Like, did you ever yeah. hear from her? Yeah. And it's so cool that you know that that eight hours that you put in ultimately changed her life. There we go. I lost you for a brief second there. Yeah. Yeah. She, it's okay. This she, thing. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she graduated and it was so cool. Right. I walked her through everything. Cause you had to get them through the first class. Right. That was how a closed one, right. You prospected, you booked the meeting, right. You get them through the process, but they had to finish that first course for that first uh, course that was four weeks long for them to get certified. Right. So I guided her through all of that. And then, yeah, she remembered me. We had exchanged personal information at one point. And when she graduated, she called me. Um, and my number was yeah. still my number, luckily enough. And we sat down for like an hour and, uh, she shared with me the days that it sucked and what got her through it is that I was committed to her for eight hours. And that always stuck with her that I had dinner. I had other things to do, but we were here. Like you want to do this, let's do it. And I was taught in, in that part of my sales life, when you hang up the phone, that's the last time you'll ever hear from somebody that was drilled in my head forever. 
that when you have somebody on the phone, you get as much as you can for as long as you can. You keep them talking because you never know when you hang up that phone if you will ever hear from them again, right? So always secure next steps. Make sure you're closing the loop on stuff. So I had her. She was willing to go through it all. I said, we're here. (laughs) We're going to make it happen. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. yeah, but you have to care. And I think that's what's made me so truly successful in my entire career. What my secret sauce or superpower was is I'm just a problem solver. It's a pro and a con, yeah. right? You can't talk to me without me finding a way to fix your problem. I have to have people tell me straight up, I don't want my problem solved. I just want you to listen, right? Because I'm just a pro. I just dive in. I see things from a 10,000 foot view and I want to try to help, right? And and always yeah. I'm just about moving forward. Past is the past. We can't dwell. Like it doesn't change. It's here. It happened. Now what, right? It's how we respond and what comes next. Yeah. So that's just how I've always been. And so when I reach out to prospects, I'm not here for me. I just want to help. And I genuinely called you because I wanted to call you, right? There's a genuine need here. Yeah. Um, and I want to help. If it can't come to terms, that's okay too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Authenticity is so important. You know, I love that word genuine. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's what sells, right? You can't force it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, you know, obviously we all know you got to believe in it, but um, you also just got to, you got to, you got to find a way to make that script your own too, mm-hmm. right? Um, that value prop oh, 100%. Uh, is important, but then making it your own. You 100%. Know? You have to, you have to show up as you. People buy for people they like and they can trust. And we as human beings can read through BS for the most part. We really can. And so I don't take cold calls when I know the person's just not them. I'm not. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go through your process. I don't want to go through your, your fake script. Like, because, and I'll, and I'll know because I'll ask them a question and they have to keep going back to the same answer. And I know they can't just freely talk to me and it's like, all right, I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to talk to you. But if you just straight shoot shot with me and cold call me and just tell me how it is. And you're, or you actually tell me the relevancy on like, Tom, I saw this, or I know you got to be looking at this because other leaders like you are doing the same thing. That stuff resonates with me and gets my attention. So I've always just called with purpose. I've done the dialers. Don't get me wrong. I called the dialers. I did that, but I I still believed in it regardless because the only way they were in my system is because something happened. There's a reason they're there. Yeah. Like I knew you just filled out a form on career builder to get to the job and it tells you, Hey, are you interested in school? but I'm still going to call you with intent because you still fill it out. So you're committed to that job. You're interested or something. There's a purpose there and I'm going to find it and I'm going to work there until you either tell me straight up. No, or I can find my in right to where there's the light bulb. Hey, David, I got you. So you just mentioned this. This is where I know I can help you. Right. As we were talking and discovering, I can get there because that's what I had to do is I was taught in early training, the iceberg method, you know, icebergs right above the water. Everybody knows this analogy, right? That the top isn't really the iceberg. It's really not. We all thought it was. But once you find out, you go below the sea, there's the damn iceberg. It's a block of ice. That's just the tip. And so a lot of your questions or your cold calls or the way you do things are so surface level that I was taught to go way deeper in discovery, right? If you say budget, man, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's get really granular with that. Let's really dive into budget so I can fully understand what you mean by budget before I make an ass out of you and me by assuming and just going to word vomit my next response. Oh, budget. No, 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 David, it's okay. And you're like, and you got to sit through the pain of hearing me object you for 20 seconds. When, when I'm done, you're like, Hey Tom, that's not what I I meant. I I meant this. And you're like, Oh, so sorry, David. Um, And now you got to play that, right. It's ask an extra question, 
get a little bit deeper, really care to get to that problem and find your in, right? If they want to keep talking about budget, accept that truth. David has budget concerns. Why? Let's talk about it. How does he make other decisions when he's been in budget constraints before? Have you? No? Okay. Or you did? What what got you there, right? What really sold you to make that move? Well, it was this. Okay, what if I could show you how we do that, right? Or this and that. Would that make any movement? Now I can get really deep with you while still being conversational and not interrogating, right? But it's just accepting your truth. Too many run from that stuff, right? They hear budget and they freak out and they don't know how to tackle it. And it's like, just listen, talk, budget. Yeah. All right, what about yeah. budget, David? Let's let's level here. What is it? Like, or in a perfect world, I usually ask before they say, if they say, you know, budget, I'm like, all right, before we get into that, what have you looked at up until this point? Or what's like a range that you've already had in your mind as to what you would expect this to look like before we get there, right? I want to make sure we align. Well, Tom, I'm at between like 20 to 50 K I have set aside for this. Okay, perfect. Going to level with you. We're at 80 K base price, right? For what we've already discussed today and what you're looking for in your packaging, right? Or what you want me to put together. I can try to push it over, but let's, let's go back to the budget. Would this help anybody else in the department? Is there anybody else that's going to be using yeah. this with you? Well, yeah, marketing might do this or, or invoicing might use this. Okay. Do they have any budget that we might be able to get to, right? Because then we could bring it in as a group package and they get to benefit and you get your your package of your deal, right? Or I could take off these three things. Out of the three, which one could you do without and wouldn't you know, stop the deal from moving forward? Well, the analytics part I can do without. Okay, cool. We'll take that off and we can you know push it through down the road, right? With your account manager. Stuff like that, yeah. right? You just got to be real granular and really dive in um, to kind of figure out where, where those ends are where those outs are, seek to understand where your buyer is and then be understood on where you are and find that, that progression there. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. So, um, and I interrupted you before, so now we're going to the next level. Uh, so, you, you know, you were, you were in the, uh, um, yeah. you know, for-profit education and that actually sounds like, even though there's a lot of ups and downs, it was great experience for you. But then what happened next? Yeah, that that yellow belt that uh, I don't know all the colors, but, you know, the ne- yeah, yellow and the next one. Right. <laughs> like really did it for me in that, yeah. that whole role there that set me up for the future. Then I jumped into uh, um, I left there and jumped into Yelp. I got into Yelp. Mm. Nope. Sorry. Not Yelp yet. No, I jumped into GoDaddy. That's what it was. I jumped into GoDaddy. I got into Internet. So I left there uh, for profit because of all the stumbling, all the stuff. Locally here in Scottsdale, GoDaddy was really big. And something I pride myself on in my career is I've picked industries I've naturally loved and that I could learn from regardless of the job, right? I just wanted to keep learning. So GoDaddy and learning the internet and all of that fun stuff, I was like, hell yeah, I'm in. So I applied to GoDaddy, got in there, did two years over there as a customer service rep where I took... Now I'm on the inbound side of the house. So now there was a queue all day of just inbound support and it just round robin to the entire floor, right? And you would get people of all various needs and you also had to upsell. So not only was I customer service, but I had to sell at the same time. So David, you're going to call in, tell me your website is crashed. It's not pulling. It's not loading. Great. I'm going to diagnose and work with you on that, but I'm also going to put you on hold and review your account. Try to find ways to upsell you, upgrade your account catch your renewals that are coming up so you don't lose them, right? Um, so I had to generate new sales, current revenue, you know, renewals, 
and then work the customer service side and have surveys after every call that you got graded on. And if you got dropped a certain one, you didn't get your comp that week. It was rough. Mm. You got a couple bad people that just, and people would mess up. And like you'd have a call with me, it'd go really bad. You'd call in, get somebody else. That survey, when the call closed, you would fill out that person's survey on accident, reporting them for me because you got two of them and you'd think it wasn't the right one. So you would get dinged for other people and it was on the system. They didn't care. It was a major org. So you'd get dinged sometimes and be like, no, that was for John. And John would laugh and be like, sorry, dude. And you're like, bro, you blew that up. I didn't. Um, You know, so that was a fun experience doing inbound. And then I got over to the billing department. I did so well in the sales portion of that job that I got moved to billing um, and was able to hustle in billing. So I was caught, you know, taking all the calls for renewals. The banks would call, right? Because the fraud, like the auto renewals, that was what we dealt with 80% yeah. of the day. You would call your bank, your bank then would call GoDaddy, bridge us in. And it'd be like, Hey, David's reporting, you know, that you guys charged him. He wasn't aware. He would like to cancel that charge. And you're like, I'm, I'm, I can't help. <laughs> And then this person's loading yeah. up on the phone. Oh, nah, nah, nah. you know, and it's like, you know, GoDaddy had all these little check boxes and terms. They knew what they were doing, but it was rough. So for eight hours a yeah. day, I got lit up. And when you joined that department, you had to start at the bottom and work your way up on the board of 100 reps to get like a shift pick. So for my first three months in that department, I was from 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. I got moved from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. that I had in customer service to if I took this role, I had to work my way to the 5 a.m. shift. So I started at 2 to 11. I wasn't getting home till like 1 a.m. every night by the time I got through and got home. Um, <laughs> I learned a lot there. Um, and then they went IPO. I went through a failed IPO with them and then their, their actual IPO. So I got to learn about those kind of conversations, being pulled into rooms, understanding the, the media, you know, doing all these things. Yeah. Um, and then I got moved over to Yelp. I got headhunted to move to Yelp. A recruiter hit me up with like, dude, I see your career. You've got to come over. So I took a jump to Yelp and I learned advertising and SEO again, right? I got into understanding Yelp and boy, oh boy, that, uh, that job was a game changer um, because I was full sales cycle in that role. So I then really got to understand prospecting at a very high level of vetting in and churning out your leads. You worked a territory, you had to book the meeting and close it all the way. And you had to do that monthly, right? And carry these quotas. You had a really low base, but it was very high upside on the commission if you could do well. But let's be real. Every phone call, as soon as you said Yelp, it was just, just yelling at you, just going off on you. Oh my God, this is Yelp, right? They had a really rough brand because of the reviews and how that all worked out. People wanted to know how the algorithm worked. Oh, I know you could take it down. Don't lie. They tell you. And and sometimes you get hostage on a phone call, right? We had metrics of three meetings a day. We had to book three meetings a day, live pitch one a day and close a deal a day. That was what they held us to Hmm. every day. So you had to be prospecting, having your demos on the day, Try to pitch somebody on the fly, right? Hey, David, it's Tom over at Yelp. Are you in front of your computer? You got a second, right? Try to get you in front of that computer, walk you through a demo, close you on advertising, right? Putting your your page on a more prominent package, right? But it was cool because you were armed with all the data on the back end. That's what was so cool. Yelp and their sales force, you could see because they had free page. They were kind of product-led growth. Let's be real, before it was the thing. Yeah. They had a free platform, but if you upside, right, you'd get the advertising. But on the back end, we saw all your numbers. 
Dave, your restaurant's doing really well. It looks like you had 50 phone calls come in this week, right? Because all those features on their platform were tracked. We could see your impressions, all that stuff, what your competitors were doing, and then try to upsell you on how to get more traffic or say, hey, your free page is already generating, you know, what's an average plate for you per, per customer? Oh, 250. Okay, and you're seeing about 100 people do call-in orders every day. Okay, work out the math, show them, okay, if you increase your revenue, right, do all this with them. And I did phenomenal at it, but I had really rough manager. I had a really rough manager my first go at it. Um, and then I had a bad territory, right? I learned what that was like. Mm. I learned territories and <laughs> touchy subject with account executives. You know, people believe that territory plays the mark in it. Some don't, but I'll tell you, I fall on the side. It plays a little part in it. it just a little bit. Just a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you get a wrong no territory. Doubt. So my first territory was Boston and it was hard. People would laugh because I would be, so it took me a hard time. I'm a very nice guy. I'm not a very hard closer. Boston was hard for me. Those people came at my throat daily. My manager that I didn't like at the time was a very fierce, ferocious, just go-getter kind of leader that she would call me in the room and be like, you need to handle them. Like you need to get back at them, be very direct. You don't ask how they are. You don't need to be fluffy. You straight need to go in for the kill, right? So in the mornings, I'm calling at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. The whole floor is watching me by like 10 a.m. because they're like, they hear me on calls. We sat in cubes and they'd hear me going at it with a Boston guy. No, you're not listening. You don't under, and just going, right? And they would all be like, what the hell? And she'd be like, hold on, just watch. <laughs> the person would hang up on me. Five minutes later, I had a contract in my inbox. People would be like, what the hell? And I was like, dude, it's Boston. I have to talk to him like this. It's just the part I got to play. And she helped coach me through it. And I just learned how to be super direct and not do the fluff. And I think it kind of changed the way my career went because I was super vague back in the day. I was like, how are you? What's going on? And, and it just was rough for me. And so I kind of learned this whole direct approach while still being kind and still being caring and a problem solver that it really changed for me. But, the, you know, I moved teams. Uh, I was able to upgrade. Again, it was one of those, if you really do well, you can pick your next territory. Otherwise, you just get in the rotation because they change every quarter. So I learned, I, yeah. I was able to go into Washington, D.C. And let me tell you, I got a different manager, a different team, and I went into Washington, D.C. and DuPont Circle and all of that. First month, tanked, did dog shit, hmm. terrible, because I was too direct in Washington, D.C. My new manager was like, what ah. is happening? What are you like? He was like, <laughs> dude, you can't be doing that. And I was like, oh, no. He's like, what are you doing? And so we then pivoted. And I started going back to my friendly, like, and these people were like, oh, what's up, Tom? Yeah, y'all was so great. And I'm like, whoa, this is a whole different area. I ended up closing down all the salons in all of DuPont Circle. I closed every salon on Yelp Advertising. I had no more pipeline. Salons were my jam. I went through the gatekeepers and the receptionist, and I would close them. And their owners would send me contracts by the end of the night. It was incredible. I mastered gatekeepers. Jeez. I learned how important they could be. I would bypass them before then. Now I understood like, holy cow, because at these places, that was their sister, their moms, their friends, their, you know, they were small businesses, right? So I got to learn gatekeepers and I started smoking those salons, man. I had all the golden nuggets. I had the wow statements. I started mastering them. And then one day my boss was like, dude, you cleared the whole territory. They're, they're all on Yelp. And I was like, whoa. And I had no more, right? They were all, they were all on it, competing against one another. I closed the whole block. Uh, it was incredible. Um, and then what upgraded my belt there, the big, big one for me was 
the manager. I had a phenomenal manager, Andrew Cohen. He knows to this day, I will shout him out. I was the hardest person. You know, I was eager to be a manager. I was super know-it-all. I, I felt a lot that I deserved. And he just leveled me out and really cared for me. Um, and we crushed it together. But what really changed for me there was one month, I uh, had a really bad month. My pipeline was completely dry. I had nothing going on. And I was out working my second job and I told him my car, I rear-ended somebody and my car went to shit for like two weeks. On that day, I called him and he told me something that's always stuck with me. And it's kind of like Wolf on Wall Street style, but he was like, dude, are you okay? Everything good? I was like, I can't come to work Monday. Like I was living like two hours away. So I needed a car to get there. I couldn't get carpool. <laughs> People are like, we can't pick yeah. you up at Queen Creek, dude. Are you wearing Scottsdale? So <laughs> he told me, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do about it. I need money. I need to get this fixed. I need to figure this all out. And he was like, you know what your number one tool is right now? And I was like, what? He thought getting in the office Monday morning and picking up that damn phone, pick up the phone, go out there and make that money. You have it right in front of you, pick up the phone. And I was like, damn, you're right. He's like, you know, your numbers, you know, your math. I know the month's been bad, but you can pull this off. You have five days till it closes and you can get that commission next month and it'll take care of your car. Right. By the time they get it back. I was like, perfect. So I jumped in, I made it happen. I got there. And in that week, we called it LWOM. That's another term, last week of the month. And LDOM, last day of the month, the whole floor would get wild. They'd have light shows. They shut off the lights for like a prospecting blitz for like two hours with glow sticks and Red Bulls. It'd be a hell of a time. And I went in that Monday, man, and I just hustled. I grinded every day and I closed $50,000 in that entire week. And I hit my numbers hmm. and I was able to pull deals from my pipeline because all I thought was I had five days to make this money that I needed to make. I ran my numbers to get that kind of commission and I made it happen. And I won that month and I was celebrated and I crushed it. And it kind of taught me that you can always change your situation every day. It doesn't matter what's happened up until then. It's, it's, you know, there's always time and how LWAM can be really special to kind of create those heroes uh, because you can kind of have that special, you know, it's never too late. It's never over until it's over, right? Until that buzzer hits. And the number one tool you can have in front of you when you have goals or you want to clear your debt or you want to do something, leverage your commission comp, right? Like use the phone, get there. If you have plans, you want to take your family on a vacation every quarter, what's that going to run? Work it out. That's what's great about sales is you can play with your numbers to get what you want, right? But it's all about you yeah. putting in that work. So Yelp was that kind of big, big pivotal moment for me. Um, and then that's when I fell in love with prospecting, like prospecting, prospecting. And I jumped over to uh, reputation.com and I became, or I went to Infusionsoft um, and I became an SDR. I stopped Yelp and I went full just prospecting. I got an SDR role um, and I jumped in there on a big team of like 30. And it was a small business company and we crushed it. And I just prospected. I didn't have to close no more. I didn't have to worry about the back end. All I did was source meetings and man, could I do that? I was booking five to seven a day. I had leads coming in Jeez. and like, that was nothing for me. Booking meetings, I was like, sold, done. I could get you those all day. And then just kind of getting into more prospecting parts of, you know, vetting and churning the pipeline and follow up and, you know, reading through the leads. It was really just kind of my, my jam. So I worked there. Some shit happened with that company, um, some tactics and things, um, not my best experience, um, but it also taught me about team. What I learned there to get me up to, you know, like let's say that sixth belt, right? Now that we're progressing, what I learned from that place was quality and quantity balance with prospecting. Mm. Because when I first started there, we were on a round robin model. The whole team would chill. We would just round robin leads, right? One day they decided to do pods. 
put the SDRs assigned to AE teams and work with the team only. They don't round robin anymore. It's three SDRs to a team of eight AEs, but we lived on the same floor. This wasn't remote. This wasn't territory. We all just worked in the building. Before we were on you know left side, right side, we were good. We just passed literally, phys- literally and figuratively over. But now we're on their yeah. teams and it ruined me, David. It ruined me because getting live feedback after you sent over a call was awful. If you sent over a bad lead or something that wasn't really a value to that AE, they could just stand up and kind of just lay into you or talk to you about it in front of everybody, right? And mm-hmm. I couldn't handle that because when it was round robin and over the fence, you didn't really pay attention. They like they just hung up the phone and went about their day and you just kind of see them at lunch and stuff, but it wasn't that direct. They weren't getting off the phone to come walk over to you and tell you, right? They had a job to do. But when you were right there on the floor in there with them, it really took me down a spiral because I was only sending the best lead I possibly could send over that was fully able to close that day. And if it didn't, I didn't pass things over. So I started missing my number and I had an SDR vet kind of pull me into a room. He's like, bro, what happened to you, dude? You were killing it. And I said, dude, I can't do this. I can't like, I can't find like they're, they're like, I felt bullied, right? Like I just had this moment where it just really took me down. And he was like, dude, you can't, you can't do that. Right. You got to detach from that stuff. AEs are always going to be like that, dude. They're always going to want the best silver platter. These guys and ladies, like they're lazy, bro. They're not going to want to work for it. But like you have a family to feed. You have to do your part, right? Like tighten it up a little bit. We'll role play it through and uh, we'll figure it out. And so he worked with me on like what scenarios I wasn't passing over. Right. He was like, tell me about them. What, what, why didn't it go over? And he was like, bro, I'd send that over in a heartbeat, dude. Click that over the fence. And so he helped me um, find that balance between quality and quantity and understanding that. Then he showed me numbers too on my last quarter stuff that I didn't pass over. That actually could have been what the revenue looked like because these people called them back later. The AEs were calling that pipeline later. So stuff that I didn't pass over and had contact with was closing. And he was like, look at the revenue that has you pass that over. They went and got it later or it came back through when it was convenient but look at how it comes down later. You've got to understand there's always pipeline. It may not work today, yeah. but it'll impact the future. And so I learned all about that and really overcame it, started hustling again. And I started toughening up and telling the AEs like, no. And they were like, oh, okay, Tom, cool. We got it. And I was like, there you go. And we got right back to it. And I was able to overcome that and uh, kind of progress on understanding you got to detach from that. You're not always going to get the perfect opportunity. A lot of people focus too hard on that perfect swing, that perfect home run. Um, yeah. but it's about building relationships. It's about working things, staying in your follow-up, right? All of that. I learned that. And I was like, damn, pipeline might not close today, but in six months it's coming through. Or how many times did it save my, my AE on my team at the end of the last quarter? Because he was able to pull those kind of couple deals out, make a deal, right? Hey, I know it was budget. I cut it in half. They're like, cool, close. Um, so it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to overcome, I, I love the fact that you talked about that, um, adversity, and how someone helped you get through it. And when you got to the other side, now you were that much better, right? I mean, it really actually does go along well with the martial arts um, theme, right? Because you were able to overcome and, and pass you know, that test. Big adjustment, right? All my life I was in office. That's all I knew was just this whole in-office work life. Um, even though at rep.com we had a hybrid model to where there were days where I could go home. I started learning what that was like. Um, and I could work from home as a leader. We were getting more involved. I could take days off, right? And stay home. But then I got headhunted to come over to this other company. They're in Santa Monica. They're all remote, AEs. Everything's good. 
And yeah, that was in 2019 of October. And so I started helping them build this function. Well, a few months later, what happens in March of 2020? COVID. Everything shuts down, right? We're all, luckily, I was already in the remote world. Thank, like, I'm very grateful that I kind of jumped earlier into this full remote because by that time, by everybody else was kind of like, holy crap, this is a new world for us. I was just finding my feet. I was like, yes, I'm already here. I'm good. Like nothing affected me. Like I've already been here. Um, and then I started bringing on a team. I had my first SCR coming in March of 2020, right? She came on board and COVID happened two weeks in and we were like, oh crap, right? And so we had to carry the entire pipeline, right? We, we crushed it. We were able to keep it afloat. Thank God we were building out the enterprise model because they were only hospitality up until I came. They wanted to go into enterprise. For the last 20 years, they only worked with Choice, Marriott, the whole hospitality market. Um, and so they wanted the enterprise function. And at my last company, some of the AEs that I worked with jumped over there. And so they, when they were like, hey, we want an SDR function, they were like, call Tom, right? Call him. So we all came over and kind of helped them build this function. And um, yeah, it was crazy because I went all remote and then we grew to a team of seven. I had two SDRs based out of India. Right. We were all spread out. I had two reps in California and it was crazy. And I did everything fully remote um, without ever seeing them. Right. Versus my team of 30 at the last company for three years. We were in an office every day. Right. My onboarding was in person. Everything was great. And then I'm now fully doing all of this from just a Zoom. Right. And just, you know, hiring them and putting them together. And then time zones. Right. Two of my reps were in India. Um, so it was really interesting. Right. Um, and then. After all of that, right, I did six years in the sales development space, built two teams, loved it. I coached other companies on the side during that time, right? I had a lot of brand going for myself. And then in 2020, I, that summer, after kind of fresh on COVID, I discovered Rev Genius, the community Rev Genius with Jared Robin. And I got into this community world. Um, and I found, because again, I was my own leader in this team. There were seven of us. It was quiet. I was in four walls. I am a very extroverted person. I've lived my whole life on the buzz of the floor. I didn't transition well. Did I have my bearings? Yes. I knew how to work from home fine, but I missed it. I missed my friends. I missed my coworkers. I missed the buzz of all of that. So co co uh, Rev Genius came into play, which was a Slack community, and I dove in there. Found a problem, just like mine, that people missed that buzz of the floor. So I worked with Jared, and I built out a virtual sales floor known as Rev League that I brought SDRs and AEs together in a community and we would live cold call. We would be able to talk to each other all day. We shared tips. I had competitions. I run contests and I just started beefing this thing up to where in a year it went from zero to 1800 people. And I had sponsors. I had tech. We all lived out of this Slack community and it was incredible. And I was building community, right? And in this new world to where then uh, a year later, in last October, I took the dough full time with Jared. I was working with him that whole year, but I wasn't on, I was just doing it, right? I had my job. I had my team over there. We were all buzzing. Things were great. And then I went full time with Jared and I went into all community. I left Milestone. They were at where they were. My, my growth had been limited um, and kind of kind of stagnant. So I was like, cool, function's good. And they were ready to rock. So I jumped on board to this community and then went full time with him a year later, right? Um, and then started building out their programs and we started elevating Rev League. And I was coaching hundreds of SCRs in this community, either a couple times or weekly um, and train, you know, coaching, contesting, and it was great. 
to where now I am a VP of sales over at Trainio, right? Wrapping up to where I'm currently is now in March, after all of that two years with Jared and the community and scaling it, being one of the you know first 2,000 members to 28,000, then I jumped on with Trainio, right? And now I'm at Trainio where I'm a VP of sales. I'm building out their go-to-market strategy um, and I'm building a brand new community of my own. Uh, that's a bigger problem in the sales space around getting a degree in sales, right? A sales education for the first time ever through the element of community um, that I'm launching. And then I'm, yeah, helping Trainio, which is a eight week bootcamp for SDRs, completely free that they can learn, right? They're underserved markets. They're a bartender, a military vet, a teacher. Somebody just looking to be an SDR can go through a free eight week program and get coached to it before they dive in, right? Learn the tech, learn the fundamentals, meet some people in the community, in the network of SDR land. And then we help you get placed, right? We work with companies, we work with them um, and we'll find you a home or we'll help you find a home, right? To get your first ever SDR job um, and land in that career. So it was a huge mission of mine to get back to that route because I found success in my entire career. So through people lifting a hand for me, the resilience, the things that can't be taught, right? And what that entails. Um, and then just finding FDR just to be my jam. Like, I love it. Uh, it's a space that I will forever be in. Um, and so, you know, giving back now and helping them and just this mission. So it's been good. Um, but it's been a long 15 years. Uh, here we are. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, now I'm kind of almost, I don't think I'm anywhere near a black belt, um, you know, but I would say I'm probably maybe a brown Maybe, you know, I'm getting up there. I'm, I'm a couple belts off. Um, I got a long time to go. Um, 15 years is still kind of rookie to me. I talked to a woman who done 40 years, closed a billion in revenue. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm bragging with my hat at 15. She's like, I've been doing it for 40. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, as I see it, you're absolutely a black belt in the outbound, in the specialty of knowing how to use the phone, right? And the beautiful thing about the skill set that you have is you can always make money. I mean, unless the phone completely disappears, man, you know how to make a living. And that is that is so crucial. And I, and I think the other thing that I, well, obviously too, the whole community thing, I mean, to be able to get in with Rev Genius and be a part of something, you know, I started my career in the late nineties and 97, you know, during the internet boom. And when you get in that early, man, does it give you an advantage? And so what you're doing with community, let's talk about that because I think this is something that is really gaining traction. Obviously people have really taken notice of Rev Genius, um, and, uh, what you're doing now with community is like that next step. So it just, can you talk a little bit about the vision there? Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Ideally, you know, uh, there's always these new trends that hit the market over years and they evolve, they will continue to grow. Uh, but there are always those pivotal moments where you look at something, right? Product led growth was kind of that newer model in the last few years in the sales world, where it was product led, right? You let somebody test your product, play with it, that creates more problems, they become a customer, right? Um, Slack does it, you know, Calendly does it, some of those do that. But community is this new one. Everybody's loving community. COVID really brought the world together in a whole different way and everything is going so digital. And with that comes the human experience keeps getting further and further apart. So what we wanna do is hold on to that, but blend those worlds great. We're going digital, but like, how do we stay with that human interaction? 
So people are dying for community of all sorts. It can be in variations, right? Rev Genius is purely sales, right? The entire where B2B comes to scale, right? If you're in marketing, RevOps, you know, SDR, AE, anything in sales, go there, right? You've got Pavilion, you've got all these other communities for different things, right? The marketing collective for marketers. So yeah. you either got a niche or you just got an overall community. Uh, bikers, my, my buddy up the road, he runs an entire 300 person bike group, right? BMX group here locally, right? That's a community. They're a community, they communicate. It's all about sharing that mission. But what I'm getting into is not only the sales university aspect, but ideally two years out, three years out, what I'd really like to get to a point is community as a service. Because what's going to happen is more and more companies are going to be like, man, I need community. I need to be in touch with my customers. My customers need to be in touch with me, my audience. Well, not your audience. You never want it to be an audience, right? It's not about selling to them. It's not about they're showing up for you. It's about sustaining a community on its own that's unified as a whole to accomplish one thing and whatever that might be, right? And to communicate, right? We're talking about it offline, right? Amazon, bringing all of Amazon Prime customers together, right? To communicate, to to work on things. So I'm building out this model that ideally will go to market as a community, as a service, right? Getting the data, getting the analytics, finding out some ways to pull some levers that a company can say, hey, I want, you know, a 1500 person community around this element. What would it entail and how do we get there? How can you come in and do that? And it's like, here's the playbook. Here's the model. Let's get it done. It'll cost this much. You're going to look at these different metrics as far as when that will happen. And you start helping these companies because companies are going to want to do it. Just nobody wants to do the legwork because let's be real. Building a community is not for the faint of heart. It is probably one of the hardest things I've ever seen be done. Um, and, and to see the, the, what it actually does entail and where that success does come from and living and breathing in these, the, you know, I got 16 Slack communities that I live in. I'm in eight different WhatsApp groups. I'm in eight different LinkedIn groups, right? Like I've seen the ones that work, fall off, don't work. I'm really absorbing it. And it's hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Community is hard. Um, you see Facebook groups try to do it, right? Try to people spin up stuff all the time, trying to pull people together but it requires you to live there. And if you can't live there, it's hard. You've got to be building it and, and being a part of it, right? And being in there. And so some people think they could just click up a page and people will just you know come to it. It's like, it doesn't work that way. No, so trying to create it. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it sounds like what, well, what I hear you saying about the community side of things is, you know, obviously the structure and the way that you organize it and look at it, right? Because it comes down to intent. And so if yeah. you have the right intent, you know, if, yeah. if it's truly about, you know, there's a, a mission that people can uh, relate to and grab onto, that's important. But I think the other thing that you're talking about where you know, these different groups don't last is because uh, they're not nurtured, right? Someone has to lead and you have to bring people together and have them coalesce. And that just takes yep. time and it takes repeatable activity. Right. The first while you got to live in there, you got to just like a founder starting a startup company. Most of the yeah. time you're the, you're the prospector. You are the closer. You're building out everything. You're the marketing. You're all of it until you can reach that pivotal point where it's self-sufficient and you can bring in those people to fulfill. Right. But you're in those trenches it's the same thing with community is you've got to be nurturing it. And like you said, you've got to get people to trust one another. There's no head of it, right? It's it's a community to run on its own. It has to be self-sufficient. Yeah. And, and, and that's the balance is not being in there too much 
to where it's completely sufficient on you that if you leave, it doesn't even exist. And also giving it enough breathing room for it to breed itself. And you have your leaders in there. You have your people in there that whether you take five days off, man, that thing's doing five X to work without, you You know, it's like an NBA star. How many times do you see the records when LeBron's on the court, 80 wins, four losses, LeBron off the court, 40 losses, two wins. Okay. What? Okay. Like, all right. That that's a great system. Good job. Right. Like you need to have it to where it's always the next man up or next woman up mentality. Right. Is look at those good squads, those good teams that it doesn't really matter who you plug in there. All right. Let's bash on the Patriots for a little bit. Right. That's a system that works. You can plug anybody in there. And we've seen some of the vets that get kicked off teams that weren't going to do really well, go join the Patriots for a year and they get a Super Bowl. And they did phenomenal, right? right? They reached their potential because that mission was so bought in that it didn't matter if Belichick said it in the locker room or the O-lineman said it. Everybody was bought in that like, we are a unit, we are a team, we're on the same goal and it's a system. Yeah. So you got to be like that where, you know, you run these other orgs where they give too much control to somebody and it's like, they don't show up for work. You know, it's like, oh, immediately odds are that's going to fail. Right. Yeah. Um, so you got to be careful on building an audience versus building a community, um, because if it requires you to be there too much, then you're going to fail. Um, yeah. But you need to nurture it. You need to be showing up and, and it has to be you showing up naturally, not because you have to. Yeah. Right. I'm in yeah. my communities because I, I want to be. But if I take a f- few days off that that community will last. It's OK. Right. It's going to still keep running. I'm going to come back and be like, damn, I got to catch up to you all. What's been going on? Right. Versus you come back after four days and one chat's been said. One question's been asked uh, and it's, and it's, you know, darkness, right? It's right. Then you yeah. come back and it's like, yeah, you know, no, can't do it like that. Um, so yeah, we're getting into community as a service. The playbook's getting created, right? We're going into this little bit of a model of community led growth. It, it, it's noisy. I'm sure I'm not the first one with this idea. I know some of my friends are also doing it on their end. Um, I have some others that are playing in a space. So it's not a matter of, you know, if and when it's just who's going to get there first, I guess. Right. Or who, who's going to help that initiative get pushed, but yeah. it's going to be something in the next few years, you're going to start seeing companies get more into digital communities of some sort, a way to stay in touch with their base um, and, and really get global power because it's opening barriers, right? You got to think too, just in the sales world right now, even account executives, I posted today about like the OTE on account executives And it's getting crazy because the talent pool is so large now, right? Back in the day, working in Arizona, I could only compete with people in Arizona, right? That was it. Very small pool. If you were the top 1%er, you could crush it, right? Like you were fine. You get a job anywhere. But now it's open to everybody. It's like, man, I could be fighting with somebody in New York for an Arizona position per se, right? Um, Right. And the talent pool got a lot larger, got a lot more noisy, a lot more competitive, um, and so that's where, you know, community of service will get there too, because it is global. There's a lot of communities coming up. There's a lot of people looking at this, but there's a few of us looking at it from a different aspect of let's do the legwork for these people. If this is going to come, people will throw money at it. They'll want that support. They don't know it. They're not living in it, but they want it, right? Everybody wants it. I want the end result, but I can't do all that in between, but I would love that for my company. Great. Yeah. I got a source for you to do that. And I got a proven model that's done it right. Like, let me show you. It'll be a good business model for many. And I think there's so many ways to build community that even if somebody beats me to this or other people do it, there's still going to be plenty of business. Um, There's still communities popping up constantly. 
Yeah, it's like any kind of innovation, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, being first obviously really helps, right? But yeah. you don't have to be first in order to be very successful and to be very effective because you put your own stamp on it, right? You, yes. you know, your fingerprints, your you know method, your vision can be different than someone's up, someone else's, and you can both succeed. And um, absolutely. But I think the fact that um, you making this repeatable is so cool because people, I mean, you can, you can create a force multiplier and shorten that cycle, which then really mm-hmm. helps this thing just explode. And so I, I love the fact that you're really documenting this and putting together a way for it to be, uh, I don't want to say productized, but you're, you're creating, <laughs> yeah. you know, a framework for a service, right. That, yeah. that um, will do a lot of good. Yeah, it'll be needed and it'll be great. And uh, it's something I enjoy. It is a passion. I, I will do that legwork for somebody. Like I like it. I like it and I understand it. I get what it takes. I'm willing to do that work. Now build the staff to help with that mission, right? Um, and tackle this new community, the first one I'm doing right now, which is building that first ever sales university. So I'm going to build yeah. that up, get that answer to the world, right? So we can help people get that first degree or that, that black belt in sales. How do you take 15 years of sales and put it into eight, you know, eight months, right. Or into a community packed learning environment. Um, but scale that right to where people can go through an eight month and really learn sales from all aspects, marketing, rev ops, tech sales, sales, overcoming fear, objections, all the things that we wish we all would have known and and really get that degree. Um, kind of like a refrigerator school, like a trade school, right. You want to yeah. be a sales rep? Go through the trade school, right? Just like if you want to clean, you know, fix refrigerators, you go through your refrigerator program and you are certified to to start working on refrigerators, right? We need yeah. to start telling people they've got to, it's okay to be certified before you jump in the sales world. It's not certified to say that you can or can't do the job, but it's to give you your true bearings on it, truly understand what you're walking into and honestly give you a fighting chance to, to make it successful because, you know, the entry is, is okay, but then it's what happens next, right? And so many people get burned. They get the bad managers, they get the bad coaches. Yep. Um, they get all the bad stuff, right? Or they get the wrong company and they wait two years and miss their career. They don't even know half the stuff that's accessible. So giving them that entire catalog and saying, here, read the damn book on it, go through it all. And if you really want to go this route, then, then this is going to put you there um, and, and set you up for a really good career in sales and, and give you some ownership to it, knowing the bads and the ebbs and flows, right? And these these upgrades in your belt, right? When you should expect them, when, did, when you know, all of that, right? Write that karate playbook for sales. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a good yeah. time. So um, I have a, a question yeah. that um, I think you are uniquely suited to answer because uh, I, I continue to hear this and, and uh, you know, it's kind of a running joke on LinkedIn amongst certain groups. And, 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 I, and I used to think it was true, right? That, you know, cold yeah. calling is dead. And clearly that's not true, right? But how do you think it, it has evolved, right? Because you have yeah. been now doing it, yeah. you know, for 15 years and you truly are a black belt at it. I mean, you're an expert in this area. So, um, cause I was talking with somebody this week who, who said that, right. Like, uh, you know, the phone is dead. It doesn't work anymore. And then I was talking with someone else today and I was just explaining to her that, no, it's not dead. It's just changed. Right. Yeah. And so we, we, we do it differently than we did it 20 years ago. So can yeah. you talk about, you know, what your experience is like as far as that evolution and, and also why it's not dead? 
that's my saying all the time. Cold call is not dead. It's thriving. It's evolving, right? That's all it yeah. is. Um, the old model of cold calling is dead, but the phone still works. I'm a big fan of it. I preach it on LinkedIn. If you're ever looking to figure out how to start cold calling, right? That's my content, right? That's my lane because yeah. I've done it since 2007. Like I've watched the progression and, and don't get me wrong. There's plenty of people more even well-versed in that. Like I said, a woman had 40 years, right? We even went further back. But let's be real, I'm current, I'm relevant here in just kind of the last decade at least and kind of understanding it and I'm still actively in it. Um, and it's not dead. I mean, the phone is the is the fastest way to have a conversation. I mean, seriously, me and you can go back and forth for the next week just in emails when all I had to do was pick up the phone and we could have been done in 15 minutes. Yeah. Seriously. Like, I've never closed a deal by email. I've never closed a deal by social selling. I've always had to... It, no matter what, to close a deal, you normally have to get on the phone. It's just that simple. Somewhere in the process, you're getting on the phone. So why not eliminate it right out the gate, right? Just get on the phone. Talk to a human. Talk to somebody. Let them hear your voice, your tonality. Get to know you a little bit. Um, and then you can get some real direct answers and questions and really work something out versus the back and forth and email. And let's be real. These things are out of your control also because you're dealing with email deliverability. You're dealing with other 50, 100 other people in that inbox. Not only just, there's not a sales prospecting inbox. It's just your inbox. So you got other yeah. shit in there too, right? You've got other things you're dealing with already on top of that. It'd be really cool if somebody created just a sales prospect inbox, right? Just for that. But yeah. it's not, right? It's all blended. So you're competing with that. Social selling, same thing. You've got to be a social person. You got to be extroverted. You can't pitch slap somebody in the DMs. You got to tread lightly. You got to be careful on the comments, right? There's so many things out of control there where the phone is straight human to human. I can, I yeah. can really have a conversation with you. I can really level with you. It's really key about your tone and deliverability more than really anything. It's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? At my favorite line that Morgan Ingram and I jammed on one Saturdays with Morgan, right? He jammed on, it was, it was straight up like, I can ask you, hey, David, how much do you weigh? That's offensive. Nobody's going to say it. But if I were to say, hey, David, you know, we're chatting about diet, stuff like that. I'm like, hey, David, out of curiosity, how much do you weigh? You're immediately going to be like, oh, this. Like you just just rolls right off your tongue, smooth as a whistle. And you're like, well, shit, I just gave you my weight. When before yeah. I just straight up, you know, we're talking diet. And I'm like, all right, well, how much do you weigh? And yeah. you're like, okay, dude, calm it down. Like you don't need to know. I'm just, you know, trying to work on my diet, right? So yeah. it's all about how you say things and, and, you, and you have a very short window, but I don't think it's dead, right? Let's get into the question. I don't think it's dead. I think that it has evolved from the typical spray and pray, load up your dialers, just rip through it, right? Get through this whole database and just wing it, right? To more warm calling, as I like to call it, right? People laugh at my content. I got my trolls, right? They're like, warm calling, isn't it still unsolicited? And I'm like, of course it is. It's still the cold call. We get it. But there's an opportunity now where if you're going to call me, like I mentioned earlier here, just be direct, be you, right? Yeah. Tell me, level with me, bring in a trigger. The three things I preach about on a cold call are research, relevancy, and relatability. The three mm. R's. If you can do the three R's in your cold script or your, your email messaging or any outreach you're doing, if you can focus on those three pillars, you have a very high chance of having a conversation with somebody, right? David, it's Tom over at Trainio. Saul on your LinkedIn, you were looking for some new SDRs. A lot of people I've been talking to lately have had a hard time with finding true candidates out there that can fulfill the experience they're looking for and be affordable, right? 
How are you going about that today? Right? Super, super simple, but it's, it's research. I showed you why I literally called you with intent. Your post is here. You can't argue with it. Or I saw this on your company page or my system tells me that this is why I should be calling you. Can't really argue that, right? Relatability. I'm telling you that I know what other leaders are talking about. I'm maybe giving you three options, right? My open-ended question is, Hey, David, are you finding most of the candidates you're looking at are either unexperienced, they cost too much, or they're getting outbid by others? Where do you feel you know your pipeline's getting stuck at? Oh, well, it's that one, right? Because I'm giving you pillars that I know are happening in the space because I talk to people like you every day. So I'm showing yeah. you that re- relevancy and that relatability, right? And I'm putting it back on you to kind of give me a more open answer than being yes or no. You're going to be like, well, Tom, it's, you know, because I'm saying, hey, of the three, which is it that's holding you up and why? And you're going to be like, well, it's, you know, the the unqualification, right? I can't find these people and now we can jam, right? Yeah. But it's hitting those three pillars. So I think it's thriving. I think it's evolving. It just requires you to genuinely be a little bit more, less robotic, more authentic. You know, the world is getting really tired of some of these traditional methods of selling. The world is evolving and we as sellers have to as well to understand that now more than ever, people just crave human interaction. All the shit that worked in the last 20 years, all the ads, all the traditional methods of things, the calling me and telling me this is a cold call and all of that, it's, it's been outplayed now. Yeah. And now it's so easy to just be another, you know, X or another blue circle in the sea, right? Like Kevin Dorsey says and some of the others, right? It's how do you be a red X in a sea of blue circles, yeah. right? How do you be different? And it's just about being you. I coach through it all the time. SDRing and cold calling is just mental. Like really, what's the worst that's going to happen? You call somebody and they, they, yeah. they say no, right? They're not mad at you. They don't know you. They're not pissed at you. Unless you specifically did something to them, come on, roll it off. That's what I told you I learned very early on, right? It's to roll that off and not take that feedback so personal, detaching from it through those AEs kind of ripping me apart and, and kind of understanding how at the same time with prospects, like detach from it. It's not personal, right? Um, so I think cold calling is really, really kicking ass. And uh, the ones that are still willing to do it are disrupting um, and they're and they're picking up the weight, the, the, the leads much faster than the people that are trying to go email or social sell and I'm not bashing on those. I do all three. I'm a multi-channel hustler all day. Yeah. I got each channel working for me. I don't not have a meeting a day, right? I'm getting one on either cold call, yep. I'm getting one in email, or I'm getting one on social almost every day, right? And if I'm not, then I got to work those pipelines, right? But if you only put your eggs in one basket, you're only going to get one source and it's not that great. So you got to work your three channels and live where your audience wants. But, you know, cold call is is still the fastest, the most direct. You can actually clarify and have a real conversation too. There's context. I don't know how many times I've had a bad exchange with somebody on an email because it was just a miscommunication. But once we got on the phone, we were like, well, okay, that would have saved us a week of going back and forth. Like I didn't realize that. Right. Or, okay. And we were able to work it out. Right. Because I'm going to tell you all these people that say cold calling is dead. Just remove the phone from your entire operations and let me know how you do. I'm straight up. Just take it out all the way. Don't even use it. And let me know really where your pipeline goes versus a company that continues to put the cold call in their pipeline it won't work. It just won't work. You tell yeah. all your SDRs they cannot pick up a phone to make any meetings booked in their pipeline for the next month, two months. Let me know how it goes. Cause they won't be able to book, <laughs> right? They won't hit their number. I'm telling you, you've got to be able to have the phone in your arsenal. And if you're not willing to use it, it's just hurting you and you're missing out on revenue because your competitors, they're calling, 
that other SDR in that inbox, like just think about that. If it's not you, somebody else will. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. It's good stuff. I, I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> Agreed. But, you know, um, before we go, though, I do want to ask you, you know, obviously you're really busy. You're a passionate guy. So um, you have to, uh, like all of us, find some way to recharge, refresh. You know, what do you mm -hmm. like to do when you're not selling? Oh, you know, it's so funny too, because like selling to me is my hobby. Like I'm one yeah. of those weirdos, right? Like I love working. Like people are like, what do you do for fun? I'm like, I'm in my office working. I don't know. Like I don't know what else not to do. Yeah. Like I love working uh, and, and getting into this stuff, right? I found my passion for once, right? And I love it. But for me to recharge and really sit down, um, I'm a gamer. I'm not going to lie. I really, nice. I, I get in. I, I still got a PS4. I'm still that kid from the nineties, right? I still yeah, yeah. love my sports games. So I'll jam out, like really just getting into, so I play basket, like NBA, you know, the basketball games, just getting into yeah. that and, and like letting my brain be a noodle for, for a good 30 minutes, 40 minutes while I play a game and I get to be competitive and kind of do that stuff. I'll go play those. Um, and then time with my family, right? Being around my kids. My kids really refresh me because sometimes I'm super stressed out. I'm super putting so much pressure on my life. And then my kids just bring me back to that innocence of that simplicity of life to be like, damn, shit's pretty good, right? Like, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I can't yeah. be this vested, right? Like, it's okay. It's okay yeah. to walk away from the work in the office. It's okay to not close that deal. Like, it is. It, it's okay to not be okay. I, I never believe that statement. Like, true, true facts here. That like bugged me, right? That statement. I never really got it, right? I never really, but like in the last like couple of years, I'm starting to realize like it's okay to not be okay, right? It's okay yeah. to not be perfect every five minutes. Yes, there's pressures and please still keep that little root in there. Don't ever give it up, but but loosen it a little bit. Loosen it. Just yeah. untwist it just a little bit because I've been super twisted for too long um, and super driven for so long that now I've just kind of come to terms where you know, my kids just taught me like so many other things in life. When you think about it, think about people, you know, you've got to have that self-awareness that people exist. And I think that's what I'm, I guess this whole podcast has talked about or my whole sales career has taught me is that humans are humans. We have a lot more commonalities. There's a lot more patterns and, and commonalities between everybody. But end of the day, we're all dealing with something and you got to think about people outside of yourself. I let go of my agenda. Yeah. I was that guy that I cold called that if it didn't end in a meeting booked, I lost my shit. I was pissed. I was attached. I was attached to all of that. Then I realized yeah. you don't got to be right. It's okay to loosen up. And uh, yeah, so, you know, that's how I refresh is my kids. And then, you know, yeah, I take that hour and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play my game. I'm a grown man, but I'm okay. I'm going to play my game and I'm going to hang out. <laughs> it's, well, my, yo, it's my release. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all got to you know hold on to those things that that we loved when we were young, mm -hmm. and and um, I think video games. I was just playing video games with my uh, my nephew this weekend, yeah. right? Tecmo Bowl, because like, he has hey, one of those, yeah. little, those little dinky Nintendo oh, yeah. you know, that has like yeah. every game on it. Yeah. So yeah. you know, playing Mario Brothers, we played yeah. Mario Brothers and Tecmo, and you know that was so much fun, yeah. man. You know, it just lets your brain go for a noodle, right? There's nothing that that. There's nothing there. There's no winning. There's no competition. It's just games. It's just fun. There's no real thinking to it. You're not like super invested into it, right? And I love playing yeah. with my son. He's a big Fortnite, you know, he plays Fortnite. He plays the sports with me. And so sometimes there's days where I'm just like, dude, you want to play a game? And like, we'll jam and laugh. And 
he'll get competitive and I just get to, you know, unwind with my son and just be like, man, this is where it's at. Like, this is the shit that you work for. You know, the other stuff is life. We all have to work. Everybody has a job and cold calling isn't for the faint of heart. I get it. I don't like it some days. Like I've been doing it this long and I still wish I could get off the phone. Right. Some days I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to. Can I just have all my funnel come in from sitting on LinkedIn, please? Like, can I just make a post <laughs> and like my day is done? But sometimes, you know, you've got to do do the things. And sometimes the things you want to do in sales that are the worst are the ones that like are the most necessary. Right. Yeah. And my, my buddy Eddie just posted kind of that statement in another way. But it was like sometimes you've got to realize the shit you don't like to do is the shit that's the most important in the sales process. Right. And so when you yeah. think about that, you kind of dive into it that, you know, you've got a cold call. You've got to get it out there. You've got to make some dials. Make sure your data is as clean as possible. You're researching. You're coming with intent. Um, and you, and let's be real. You mentioned it earlier. Like, call people that want to solve the problems you solve for. There doesn't need to yeah. be this push. Like, I hate that sales is the only game where winning is losing. Right? Like, if you win at a call or you win or overwin somebody, really? You didn't really win. It's kind of dirty. Right? It's like, uh. Like, it's not really the game where you win, right? You don't want to win. There is no thing as winning. It's about helping, progressing conversations, um, and, and just being there, right? And so I, I just hate that it's this, this pressure of pushing people into your pipeline, pushing people, you know, that square into a square, you know, just to make your buck or your meeting. Like, chill out. You'll make your commission right. if you just do it the right way and have your conversations. You build your relationships. You will get there. You don't need it. Now, some objections need a little push. I get it. There are that iceberg yeah. level, right? There's somewhere, David, let's level, right? You don't want that email. You're not asking me to send you more information. It's the knee jerk. I get it. I, yeah. I've been there. Let, let me ask you what, would you, what do you, what are your priorities right now? What are you really focused on? Maybe I can help you. Well, Tom, I'm really focused on my pipeline right now, or, you know, my, my HR, my LMS. I need to get that worked out. That's fine. I'll chat with you again. When this becomes a priority, when do you think it would be? And you know what? I got an LMS recommendation for you. My buddy is an SDR over there. Do you want me to drop him a line? Do you want to see what they could do? Absolutely. That'd be great. Cool. I'll I'll ping him and let him know you're interested. And I will talk with you in a couple of weeks as we work that out. Now I'm just dropping continuous value. I'm checking in on how that project's going, right? And I build a relationship. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, But you just got to read through the BS. And I guess that comes with, I say it so naturally and people are probably like, cool, Tom. Yeah. Unless 15 years in, you could just tell if this person's, you know, messing with you or not. (laughs) Um, but you've got to kind of pick up on those cues, right? And that's what you can do in a cold call. Can't do that in the email. Yeah. But in a cold call, man, yeah. I can I can find out if you're you're lying to me or not. I can pick up on the cue and just kind of level with you and say, hey, I get it's not an outright thing, right? But what is? And there's still an yeah. opportunity. That's the other thing. People think a cold call has to end in a meeting booked or progress to something. And there's so much more opportunities to be looking everywhere else and leaving that account better than you left it, right? That's what I learned at my Yelp days. Another notch in my belt, right? Was you touch these accounts every day, leave them better than you left them the day before, right? Or better than you found it. Whatever the quote is, right? Is every day be adding that 1% growth to that account, enriching it with better stuff, talking to that owner that keeps pushing you off, but just getting one piece each day to build that puzzle. So when you get them on that 15 touch, man, David can't beat me, right? I got the whole puzzle now. I figured it out. And now I can call him with that true intent and be like, David, it's been two weeks but man, out of our discussions, right, this is where we're at, right? And you can piece it together. Um, so there's a lot there. Yeah, good stuff, man. So you're a great follow on LinkedIn. So I encourage everybody yeah. to follow you there. But is there anything else you want to mention as far as, you know, some place that uh, there's content or uh, that, you know, you uh, spend your time? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll drop my link tree so you can add it to the promotional stuff, right? I have all of my like podcast, all of my articles, all of my brands that I love, you know, everything you can find there. Um, it's also on my LinkedIn, right? I try to keep everything in one link, makes it super easy to the yeah. listeners, right? Hit me on LinkedIn. I got a fire in front of my name, Tom Slocum, and you'll find everything, right? Uh, but Linktree is where I'm at there. But uh, no, I just, you know, want to let people know if they're, you know, wanting to break into the FDR space, right? Hit me up, let me know. We'll get you in the Trainio program and help you find that home. Or if you're a company, a hiring person listening, right? Or have some connections to that, right? We can give you some SDRs that are graduates, ready to go fully, you know, ramped up and some of the onboarding and looking for homes. Um, yeah. And then to those outside of that, if you just want any resource or just to chat, like I'm a DM away. Um, I try to be super accessible. It's not a good look for me, um, but I try, I get back to everybody. I try to close my loops with people. I'm really big on follow-up, um, but shoot me a message, right? I'll, I'll be happy to entertain it, connect with the um, and chat on any cold calling or SDR tips you want to know about. Awesome. All right, Tom. Well, thank you so much, man. This has been great. I really look forward to uh, staying in touch and thanks for spending so much time with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.